0: Hey, online family, so glad that you are with us again today. And uh, my name is Kenny. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so grateful that you'd give us just a few moments of your time to learn a little bit more about our series that we've been in called God Is. Now, uh, today, Sunday, actually starts what's called Passion Week. It is a huge week for Jesus followers all over the world. It is the day called Palm Sunday when Jesus actually rode into Jerusalem. And if you've ever read the story, people were surrounding him, hailing him as their king. and this is the one we have waited for. And it's called Palm Sunday because they threw their palms at his feet. And just as a as a sign of we honor you, we respect you. You are our leader. And there's something else about What happened this week that I want to share with you in just a moment, because as you move past Palm Sunday, is also called Suffering Week. That Jesus would passionately endure the suffering that He knew was before Him, and it's the reason why He even came. But here's what I want to do. For the next few moments, I want us to look at the cross as we should this week. Again, as Jesus followers, the cross is everything to us. The Bible says that to someone who doesn't know Jesus, it's actually foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved, uh, it really is the power of God. And I wanna look at it in a way of what was happening outside of the cross. Is there something spiritual that was going on at a deeper level than maybe what we've heard before? Now, I wanna give you a heads up. I'm going to need your help in the chat area if that's okay. So there are going to be times when I'm asking you to participate and play along with us in the questions that I ask. I can assure you, if you do, number one, your feedback will be so helpful to everyone else who's watching. And I really think you're going to get a whole lot more out of it. Now, if you're just now jumping in with us, let me kind of recap, okay? We've called this series God Is, and that is a, a, a series name for a technical term that's called theology, the study of God. And that's what we've been doing the last couple of weeks. The very first week, Kurt spoke about God is holy. And if you weren't here, you can see it on the screen. Uh, The definition for God is holy means this. God is unique, sacred, set apart. He's in a class by himself. You know, scripture says that God is not like us at all he doesn't think like us and he doesn't act like us you know when, when you look at someone to say you're ungodly we disagree with that now part of that's pride but the other reason we disagree with that is real simple because we don't know what God is like he is godly we are ungodly so God is holy in, in other words He can't allow sin around him at all. Number one, he can't sin. Number two, it can't be in his presence, which makes him holy. Last week, Marshall actually talked to another aspect of God. God is love. And here's the definition that's used. God is love. means God is merciful. He's loyal. He's steadfast. And he's actively committed to loving you. In other words, he doesn't just say that he loves you. He's actively involved in loving you. Now, what's interesting is those two phrases, God is holy, God is love, those are actual phrases from scripture. If you weren't here for those messages, you can go back and watch those. But there's another aspect of God, his character, that it says God is blank. And that's what I wanna talk to you today. God is just. And here's exactly what that means. It means that God is impartial and he is right In both his punishments and his rewards that God makes decisions that are righteous and when he makes that decision it is the right decision all the time whether it's to punish wrong or to reward good he is just which is one of the reasons I'm in front of the courthouse more on that in just a moment of how that will play out and how you will take a part in that Now, here's what's interesting. As you look at the graph, you can see that God is holy, God is love, and God is just. We separate those in our terminology, but this is important. God is not separate in any of those. He is all of those at the same time. So the graph actually looks more like this. Now, again, this is foreign to us because we don't respond this way. We don't feel this way. If someone makes us angry, we are in that circle of anger. I'm angry at you. What, you don't love me anymore? I don't even like you right now, right? I mean, so it's hard for us to always be loving. We step into our circles of emotions. Not true with God. Again, this is very hard for us to understand, but this is one of the reasons God is not like us. He is always holy, always loving, and always just. There's never a time he's more than one than he is the other. And there's a passage of scripture that I want to share with you. It's just a few verses. Here's what I love about these few verses. These few verses actually separates Christianity from every other world religion. These few verses, you could sit down with someone at lunch to say, let me tell you what makes Christianity. Let me tell you what makes the cross so unique. So special. Because maybe you've wondered, man, I I don't even know how I would express that to someone, even if they ask. Today, we're going to learn together on how to share that with someone else. The passage I absolutely love, the passage actually comes from Colossians. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Colossians as I talk about just a few passages together. Colossians was written by a guy by the name of Paul who hated Christianity. It was called The Way. These small Jesus followers called themselves, they had the way of life and he wanted to stamp it out and just completely eradicate anyone who would call themselves a Jesus follower. So he helped murder them, he helped throw them in prison and then he actually met Jesus and he joined the winning team and now his whole mission was to tell the entire world about this amazing God-man Jesus that he met. And so he is writing to us today. And here's what he says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. You were spiritually dead because of your sins and because you were not free from the power of your sinful self. Now, we had two problems. (laughs) He just starts it off with bad news, by the way. It's Passion Week. It's Suffering Week for Jesus. So that's not good news. Well, guess what? It wasn't good news for us either in how we started this story. He says, you had two problems. You were spiritually dead because of your sins. You know, it's like someone, if they died of cancer and you wanted to help them, you would have to do two things for them. Number one, you'd have to take away their cancer. Number two, you'd have to bring them back to life. If you only did one of those, you really didn't help them at all. You take away their cancer, they're still dead. You bring them back to life, they still have cancer. So we are in a double predicament, if you would. And so Paul says, you just need to know, when it started out, the difference between you and God, it was a major difference. It's not just, yeah, I might be a bad person. Eh, I, I occasionally do bad things, which is such a fallacy that we believe. See, we believe, and you'll see differently by the end of this time, we believe that we're good people who will occasionally do a bad thing. Paul starts out by going, Boy, you're not going to like this at all. You are a dead sinner who could never do a good thing when it comes to being compared to the holiness of God. That's the game-changing difference in how we see God because when we see him, as Kurt said in the very first week, we really get an accurate picture of ourselves. Now, he goes on in the next verse, and this is just kind of a, a scripture reading tip. When you see a scripture writer Start listing things. Just take your pen or your pencil. Start listing them out. Don't just read it. Just go, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's given us a list. Paul is about to give us an amazing list of what makes this week so special for us. Look in the very next verse, because here's what he says But God made you alive with Christ. This is amazing. It's all about God. Remember, the verse before it said, We were spiritually dead but God made you alive. You know what the cross and the resurrection is all about? Dead people coming to life. It is not about bad people becoming good people. It's not about good people becoming great people. It is about a dead person separated from God, that when God would try to poke and nudge and prod and speak to and to entreat and to call, A dead person could not respond so God made a decision made the first move and God brings a dead person back to life with his breath that is what this passage is about that's the message of Christianity for all of us and this is why we celebrate this week because God did something we didn't do anything we were dead with sin so God goes into action Here's what it says. We keep reading. But God made you alive with Christ. How did he do that? Here comes the list. Get ready. Number one, he forgave all our sins. See, that's, that's, the, that's the Baptist coming out in me. You just got to carry out the S, right? Um, sin, but it is important. It doesn't say he forgave us all of our sin. Sins, all of your sins. I've been asked before, What about the sins I haven't committed yet? Here's a question. How many of your sins have come after the cross? Answer, all of them. All of them have come after the cross. When he died, he died for all of your sins. He forgave you all your sins. That's the very first thing he did. That would be enough in and of itself. But the second thing he did was this. He canceled the written charges against us. Now, in the little chat area, I want you to write that out: written charges against us. Go ahead. If you're if you're like a uh, just a poker that just it might take a while, but we'll wait, okay? Written charges against us. Write that down. Or if you want to make it personal, written charges against me. I love that. But he canceled the written charges against me. More on that in just a moment what were the written charges and what did they actually do? I'm glad you asked because it's in the verse. Here's what it says. He canceled the written charges against us. What were those? It listed all the rules we failed to follow. And because of that, it stood against us and condemned us. Without question, the rules he talks about in this one verse He's reaching back to his Jewish heritage. He's reaching back to when rules were first given by God, known as the Ten Commandments. There's no doubt what he's talking about here. And he is saying the written charges against you, the written charges against me, against us, are real simple. The Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments stand opposed to your life when it comes to standing in front of God. And those written rules condemn you, which means there's no, yeah, 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 but here's what happened. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. okay, I didn't know all of the, no, 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 no. They condemn you completely. So he forgave us. He canceled the written charges. Here's the third thing he did. He took away that record with its rules. He also took away the charges and the record where your name was written of what you did, of what I did. He took that away. And here's what he says. What did he do with it? He nailed it to the cross. That's what he did with that record of wrong, your record of wrong and my record of wrong. Now, this is Passion Week. This is... This is the week coming up to Friday where we remember the cross. This week we think about the cross. Many people watch The Passion of the Christ every year at this time. They read more about the cross, as we all should. I want to show you a picture of the cross because I love this picture. I want you to look at this. There's something about this picture of the cross that I really like. As you look at it, not only is it a picture of a symbol of the crucifixion, Invented by the Assyrians, perfected by the Romans, where a man would be beaten, would be stripped naked, and then would basically be spread apart so that he would die of asphyxiation, of basically drowning in his own blood, not being able to catch a breath. Everything about crucifixion, which means out of the cross, is what it means, from the cross, is how Jesus died. But there's something about this picture I don't want you to miss. There's something at the top of the cross. And you can see that it's a sign. Let me tell you why that sign is so important. When the Romans would crucify a criminal, they would put the charges that were against that man on the cross. This man was a rebel against Rome. This man stole from the treasuries of Rome. They would want everyone to know that walking by to see that criminal what that person did. So that individual could look up at the person dying and right above their head, they could see, oh, here's what that individual did. Wow. Yes, they should die for what they did. Here's what's interesting. And you might miss it. If you read quickly through the crucifixion of Jesus, we are told exactly what was on the sign above the head of Jesus Christ. When he died, if you remember Jesus was brought before Pilate. Pilate could find no fault in him whatsoever. In other words, Pilate is thinking, what am I going to put on the sign? He hasn't done anything wrong. There's no been insurrection. He hasn't stolen anything. The best I can tell, he's healed a lot of people. He's a good man. Why in the world? Should I crucify him? But the Jewish leaders wanted their way. It was their world. Jesus was infringing on their power. People were following Jesus instead of them. And so they begged him and pleaded, you just crucify and come up with a reason of charges against him. We don't care what you put on the sign. Just put something on the sign. He called himself a king. Put that on the sign. And that is exactly what Pilate put on the sign. We find it recorded in Matthew 27 verse 37. Above his head they placed the written charges against him. The written charges against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. So when people walked by, when people were there watching, what was his crime? This was Jesus, the King of the Jews. Is that a crime? Did he Is that even a crime? I don't I don't I don't think that's a crime. Maybe, oh, well, I guess to Rome because Caesar would have been king. So maybe, but I don't understand because that's, you see, there is a little bit of confusion in the crowd. There's a little bit of confusion for us going, well, that's not a crime at all. But maybe there was something a little more going on with the sign that we don't know about. Now, behind me is the courthouse and I want want to use an illustration. Let's pretend that there's a judge who serves in this courthouse week in and week out And he is known in the community as not only a good judge, but a great judge because he really loves this community. He's found serving the homeless on weekends. He's found giving to those who have not. I mean, he loves this community. But imagine someone who was found guilty of breaking into a home, um, murdering the, the couple who lived there, and then stealing everything outside of the home. The cameras caught the individual, the police caught the individual, and now the individual is on the court stand. What would you think about the judge that looked at that gentleman with everything against him and the judge said, you know what? I know you're guilty of all of that, but I love you. So I'm gonna let you go free. What would you think about that judge? (laughs) Here's what you would think. man: What you're not doing what your job is. Your job is to be just. Let the punishment fit the crime. You go, but he loves them. It doesn't matter. Your love at that point, Mr. Judge, does not matter. Or what about this? What if the criminal actually looked at the judge and said, yes, sir, I did all of that, but I promise you, I'm never gonna do it again, ever. You've got my word. And the judge looks at him and says, you know what, I love you and I believe you. I'm gonna let you go free <laughs> now what do you think of that judge the opinion's is still the same it doesn't matter because he's not there for what he promises not to do he's there because of what he's already done that's problematic so judge doesn't matter how much you love him doesn't matter how good you are we want you to be just now here's where we come into the picture let's pretend that you're on the court stand for your life and for your eternity is at stake. And the judge is God. He's holy. He doesn't allow sin into his home or in his presence. He's loving. He greatly loves you, but he's just. This is why when people say, God loves me, I'm okay. Well, God does love you. Well, when I die though, everything's gonna be good because God loves me. Everybody goes to heaven because God loves them. Well, why would we expect any less of God than we would a human judge? That, that's poor judgment on our part, play on words. And this is true. So if you're on the court stand, the rules are very simple with God. They were written in Exodus, the 10 commandments. Again, and if we just go through some of them, the first one, don't use my name in vain. What, what, what does that mean? It means to blaspheme God, that you take the God who gave you life who loves you and is perfect in even his name, and you use it in a moment of anger or lifestyle. We call those individuals blasphemers. What about this one? Don't steal. It's just simple. I'll provide everything for you. So don't take anything. Have you ever stolen anything? doesn't matter the value. It could be a pen from the office an answer in middle school from someone else. You stole something that wasn't yours. What do we call those individuals? Thieves. Uh, Don't ever tell a lie. Have you ever done that? You go, nope, what you just did. What do we call people who tell lies? Liars. What about this one? Don't commit adultery. Most people think they're out of that one. Some people know they've already committed that one. Truth is, we've all committed that one. Remember, holiness begins at the depths, not at the surface. This is why Jesus said, if you've ever even lusted after someone, you have already committed adultery, you're guilty. I think we're all guilty of that. What do we call those individuals? Adulterers. What about murder? We all think we're clean on that one. Some people may already know. That's not true of me. It was a horrible past that I have in my life and a decision I made. But again, Jesus would put us all in that boat, to be honest. Remember, holiness begins at the depths, not at the surface. So Jesus said, if you've ever looked at someone and hated them, you look at someone and say, I don't even want to be around, I don't even want to see that person anymore. I wish they would go to wherever. Jesus says, You've already murdered them. So again, we're all guilty. It's only five of the ten, but by our own admission, we're blasphemers, we're thieves, we're liars, we're adulterers, and we're murderers. And if we were to do the other five, it would be the same. We're guilty. But on Jesus' they find no charge against him. So what they wrote was Jesus, King of the Jews. But what was going on behind the scenes, what was going on a little bit higher than the cross in heaven was that list against you, that charge against you was being brought to God. And Jesus saying to him, I will pay the charge. The charge, the sign, the reason why I'm really up here isn't because I'm king of the Jews. Why I'm really up here is on the backside of that sign are all of Kenny's list. That's why I'm here. And if people could read the other side, they would recognize, wow, yeah, somebody has to pay. Now back in the courtroom, God looks at you and now he has another problem. You're guilty. My justice will not let you just walk out of this courtroom. Someone has to pay. You can pay. It will be eternity away from me because I'm holy, but my love wants another option for you. And at that moment, the courtroom doors open and it's the judge's son who walks in the courtroom, who is just like you because you have to have someone just like you, but you have to have someone not like you. Why? I can't be in your stead because I'm guilty of the same things. This is why Jesus had to be born of a virgin, 100% man, 100% God, totally human, but totally holy. And so the judge's son walks in and says, judge, I've never committed one of those. So put the charge on me. I'll take it. And the judge looked at you and says, because I love you, how about we make a trade? How about you get up? Let my son sit down and I will put the written charge off of you onto him because the price is death." Now now let me ask you, what would you think about that judge? Write it out, generous, the unthinkable, the unfathomable judge. <laughs> The loving, 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 loving. Not just a loving judge anymore, is he? A a gracious judge, a merciful judge. Yet here's the thing. He's still also a just God, all in one, never one without the other. His holiness is met, his love is met, and his justice is satisfied. Someone did pay. It just wasn't you. And it gets better, by the way. Oh, but wait, there's more. The judge then looks at you and says, oh, by the way, I would love for you to join my family. How about you let me adopt you into my family because the written charge that was against you has been paid in full and you don't owe me anything for the rest of your life just be mine (laughs) who would turn down that offer no one can sit on that court stand and look at that judge and say I promise you I'll be good forever from here on out I'm never gonna do it again the problem is not what you promised the judge the problem is what puts you on the stand God Brought you to life. God made you alive. And this is what we celebrate this week. There's a verse that brings all three of those together in a beautiful way when we look at the cross this week. Psalm 85:10, God's truth, which is holy, which is perfect. God's truth and faithful love join together. Don't miss this. His peace and holiness kiss each other. And it all happened at the cross. But there's something else that happened. There's something that happened in the spiritual world that maybe you have never heard before. And I love it. Remember, I told you that this begins Passion Week. It begins with the Jesus coming into Jerusalem with a parade He knew it was a parade to his death, but there was another parade that happened following his death. And it's actually found back in Colossians. If you look at it, I wanna read it to you and then I'll explain. Colossians 2.15, God stripped the spiritual rulers and powers of their authority through the cross. He made a public spectacle of them by leading them as naked captives in his victory procession. Say, so what is that all about? Well, Listen, in Roman culture, when you defeated an enemy, you would capture the king, bring them back to the city, strip them naked, put them in chains behind your horses, and you would parade them through a city. And this time, it is a procession. It is a party. It is a celebration that you are the victor and the one who was saying was king. Look at him now. What a public spectacle, ripped of everything that would label him a king. No more power. He's not a ruler. He has no more authority at all whatsoever. This was taking place in heaven as Jesus comes back to life. And it's why we move from the cross, the week of suffering, to the celebration of a risen Savior because he took Satan. And through the cross, he disarmed every demon that there is known in existence to say, I will now strip you naked of your authority over the ones I love. I will strip you of every power that you have no more power over my children anymore. And by the way, Through the cross, I will parade you in chains through the hallways of heaven that will celebrate the true king, the one king. Oh, and maybe Pilate did get it right. I am a king, the king of the Jews and the Gentiles, so that every person who is guilty on a stand can walk out free being my son or my daughter in the name of my son because of my grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what this week is all about. Now, my question to you is this, has that ever happened to you? I'm not asking, have you gone to church on Easter? Everybody goes to church on Easter. I'm not asking if you grew up in church. A lot of people grow up in church. I'm not asking if you have a Bible. A lot of people have a Bible. I'm asking you, have you ever felt God speak to your life saying, come alive? You're more than what you're living for. I want to wake you up with peace and passion. And I want you to pursue the things that are righteous and holy and good and truly satisfying to your soul. I don't want you just wandering and hobbling through this thing, this precious gift I've given you called life. I want to bring you from death to life. Would you, would you allow me to take away your sin? Place it on my son. And would you allow me to adopt you into my family so that now I'm not just called God, but you can call me your heavenly father because that's what I want to be this this moment for you. Has that ever happened to you is my question. If not, what a week, What, what a holiday, what a moment to do that. And if that's never happened, I want you to pray with me wherever you are, just bow your heads, close your eyes, and just say, oh God, I'm so guilty. Just admit it. Start with admission, confession. I'm so guilty. I've broken your rules, and I'm so sorry. Just tell them I'm so sorry. You saw everything I did, and I'm so sorry. And I can't pay for it. But I believe your son did. And the best way I know how, I accept You placing my punishment on your son. I believe it's why I died. I see it now and the best way I know how I put my faith in his payment for my sin and my answer is yes. I would love to be your child. So I say yes. I signed the papers today of being adopted into your family. Thank you for being my heavenly Father today. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins today. In your name I pray. Amen.